Yeah, so Rockstar property, and I had a single family that I closed with private money in January too. So I had seventy-seven doors in January of this year to uh, catapult me. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host. The personal trivia for today is that I find myself more and more talking about our life in Africa and am working to go back for a visit. All right, welcome everybody. Um, On this week's episode, I am very excited to have a special guest, CJ Estelle, a real estate investor from the Lancaster area outside Columbus. And he has an amazing story to share. He has had crazy growth with his portfolio and he uses a lot of really creative and exciting ways uh, to do it. So you're gonna enjoy the story. You're gonna get a lot of good tips from it. So without further ado, welcome CJ. Thank you. Hey, glad to have you on. So um, I have bumped into you, you know, well, I've, I've seen you online, we've, and we bumped into each other at uh, OREA, right? And mm-hmm. then, um, so there's been different interactions here in probably the last three-fourths of a year or so. So I've heard pieces of your story in big chunks, but for everybody else, um, really, what is your story? How'd you get involved in real estate? What was the that beginning. Before we get into the big growth, what was the beginning? Yeah, so uh, I actually ran a small IT consulting business years ago and uh, uh, started it before I really had studied much about business or knew much about business process and uh, did all right for myself, but I was set up to where I had to go out and basically do what I call slay a dragon. If I didn't go out and make sales, I didn't have any recurring revenue. So I had to go out and make those sales to be able to have the the funds coming in to do what I needed. And I found myself in a pattern of sell, 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 work, 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 sell, 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 work, work, work. And uh, when the 08 crash hit, uh, some of my bigger customers ended up going out of business. And as I'd lost that income, uh, without the recurring revenue, without uh, some of those funds coming in, I really started to reflect on business and uh, some of the processes and what it took to to run a successful business and realized I had not set my business up from day one to be successful. So I actually uh, left the, um, the IT consulting business, uh, my own business, and joined the corporate world for a while to, to kind of get back on my feet. You know, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, you know, this was about 10 years ago. And uh, the corporate world really helped me stabilize things, get back to where I needed to be financially. Um, but I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, as I started to learn a little bit more about real estate, the recurring revenue was really, really attractive. Um, and you know, I, I've always told myself I'd never do another business that didn't have recurring revenue. And real estate was just a really great fit. Um, so uh, that's kind of what drove me to, to get into it. Uh, I guess the other thing that really drove me, um, the corporate world, like I said, it really helped me get back on my feet. It set me back up to to be able to comfortably retire around the age of 65. And uh, that's not what I want in my life. I don't want to be the old guy that, you know, yay, I finally got done working. Now I can yeah. enjoy my gold years in you know, a state that I'm not you know, able to enjoy them. Uh, so 
really wanted to accelerate that financial independence um, and real estate kind of checked off that as an investment uh, strategy as well. So uh, a lot of forces kind of driving me to it. Um, I've got a little bit of a background in uh, uh, construction as well. I've uh, done a lot of you know, DIY type stuff. Uh, my dad was a handyman on the side as I was growing up. So I got to see and absorb some things that way and uh, kind of helped me as I look at uh, uh, different strategies of you know, buying up distressed properties or things like that, being able to more accurately estimate repairs and things like that. So it was a, a good way to figure out the numbers and you know, be able to jump into to real estate. Were you reading books or how were you doing your research or toying with the ideas? Um, so I did a little bit of reading, not so much on the book side of things. Um, I'm a avid blog type reader. So okay. a lot of my education comes in you know, shorter bursts. Um, and then I try to surround myself with uh, good people. Honestly, my first uh, first investment property um, I bought before I was uh, married. Um, it was supposed to be a flip, um, and I was going to. I apologize for the background noise here on the street level, um, but uh, it was supposed to be a flip. Um, I bought the the worst house in the best neighborhood. I read that's what you should be doing, um, and uh, bought a five bedroom house uh, for about one hundred fifteen thousand. Uh, the neighborhood was mostly in the one hundred eighty to two hundred thousand range um all cosmetic stuff and i uh, thought i'd be able to put you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars into the house and uh you know do really well on it and while i was living there doing that house hack i uh, met my wife and kids and the home became less of an investment and more of a home yeah uh, and uh so we ended up doing all right on it we lived there for a few years um but uh the wife wanted an in-ground pool and things of that nature so you know our rehab kind of went out the window and um, <laughs> we had a few things that I probably wouldn't have put into a uh, flip otherwise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that but, happens. <laughs> uh, it, it does, and I don't regret any of it. But uh, so that was kind of my first attempt, and uh, was a little deflated. You know, didn't didn't do terribly great on it. You know, basically lived for free for six years. By the time I ended up, you know, selling it, and uh, we weren't one hundred percent finished with everything either. Um, but I didn't really make much on it, just kind of lived for free for about six years. Um, so I still had some equity, was able to roll that into a new property uh, when we, we moved. Um, and uh, from there, we lived at the new house for about a year and kind of talked to the wife. We had a personal savings goal um, in our retirement accounts and stuff. And I said, you know, honey, we're, we're on track to retire when most people do but it's, it's not going to get us where we need to be. Let's, let's try to jump back into to real estate investing. Um, and honestly, my first house I bought, um, and I don't necessarily recommend people do the exact approach I did, but I did not learn nearly as much as I should have my first house. It ended up being an all right investment, but, uh, not because of my own due diligence. Uh, it was a hundred thousand dollar house. Um, I put in an offer. They gave back a thing saying, Hey, there's renters in there paying seven fifty a month. Um, I was like, cool, that's more than I was going to charge. My mortgage is only going to be this much, right? And uh, so clearly had absolutely no idea how to crunch numbers or anything else. Uh, ended up taking on those tenants and the, the people were selling it because, you know, those tenants weren't paying their bills. So I ended up having to go through an eviction. They trashed the house on the way out. So I had to go through a pretty extensive repair. Mm. Uh, so I, I got my feet wet real early in the uh, the process. Um and uh, like I said, it's a good investment now. I got everything fixed up, and now rents for uh, twelve fifty a month. 
Um, so, you know, it, it is a good area, a good house. Uh, probably, you know, wouldn't have been, you know, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have bought it um, with the amount of work that it took to get it to a good spot. But uh, um, the amount of learning that I gained from that was absolutely amazing. And um, I quickly, after I purchased that, bought a second property. Uh, and it was after the second property as I was getting into my third property where I started attending user groups and uh, found people to kind of mentor me and teach me how to crunch numbers, teach me the things I didn't know, uh, you know, just immerse myself around people that, that were doing it as much as possible, started attending as many different things as I could. And uh, that's where most of the education's really come from is trying to surround myself around people that do it. That's sharp. So when you were, you know, going to these groups in the beginning and you had a few houses, um, did you find a bunch of resistance from other investors not wanting to share their information or was everybody fairly open? What was that? What was the room like? Um, so I found that, uh, um, at least down here in Lancaster, I, I can't speak too much to other areas. The areas I've been to outside of Lancaster um, have mostly been the same. Uh, most of the investors I talk to are really open about what their strategies have been, really in, encouraging. You know, there are plenty of deals to go around. I mean, they're not going to share their private lender list per se, but uh, yeah. they're they're all about helping educate you and teach you. Um, I, I haven't had any anybody really push back from an investor side of things, uh, but there's you know there's a lot of naysayers out there that you know why are you doing this you've got a good job what's the point of this why are you putting in all this extra time you should be spending it with your family and i'm kind of looking at it as this is an investment for me to spend time with my family and if i can do this over the next couple of years that's going to get me set up to a point where i've got a lot more ability to to spend time with my girls as they grow up so um still get some pushback uh from from family friends uh, as you know, they see me putting a lot of time into a day job and a uh, side gig. Uh, but the investors are not the people that push back. Not sure. I, I mean, I think it's a good point and a good encouragement for anybody wanting to get started, looking for information, wanting that encouragement to go to a local meetup. Ria, um, in your area, the Profit with Real Estate Group is an awesome group, and. Um, I mean, in my experience, by far, people are much more uh, open and willing to share than they are critical or, or uh, close-minded with their ideas. So I've had the same experience. Um, with people telling you you're working too hard or you're, you're sacrificing too much, is there, I mean, are there points along the way that you started to believe maybe they were right or have you been able to always just push them aside because i mean i think that's natural when you're doing something different than than the, the bulk of people you you get that resistance or pushback what's been your experience um so for me it all comes down to goal setting and working towards your goals as long as you know what you're working towards and you step back and evaluate your process and your progress towards those goals um, that's the most important thing. You're always going to have people that think you should be doing something different. And frankly, I solicit as much advice as I can from as many different sources. I don't want an echo chamber. I want to hear people tell me yeah. why I should be doing it differently so that I can really sit there and think on that type of thing. And 
And for me, having that goal, knowing, okay, I want to leave my day job by this particular date. I want to have this much in passive income. Once I get past that, my goal is to you know start to travel this many times per year. You know, I, I lay those things out and you know, it reminds me what I'm working for. So, uh, yeah, it, it is a sacrifice when you know, my wife calls and says, you know, Jalen's on the phone. She wants to to tell you hi and and whatnot. It, it's hard to not be at the house, but uh, uh, as long as you're achieving progress towards those goals and you know what they are, um, I, I think that really helps you get through it. And uh, if if you're not getting to where you you need to be, then you need to reevaluate your your goals and your process and figure out what needs to change. But at least tracking it is where you have to start. That's awesome. I think you know a lot of times people who are working a day job and they're equating time with money, they don't realize that when you're putting in that extra time in real estate, it's no longer relate. The money that you're making is no longer related to your time. Every house that you finish. You, when you're still working on the next house, it's the first house is providing you money. When you're working on the 20th house, those first 19 are, are providing you money. And they don't really understand the exponential nature of it. So they don't see that not that many years down the road, you know, you don't have to work near as much as, as even they are or a full-time job. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 30, going to be 38 here soon. And most of the real estate that I have uh, at this point is in commercial notes and they're 20 year notes. And I look at the amount of principal that I've got going towards things and my tenants are paying more principal than I could ever put into my 401k at my day job. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting to, to not only look at the cash flow, but to look at the appreciation in the properties, to look at the principal pay down that you get um, and the tax advantages that you get with everything too. So um, you know, while I'm in my day job, uh, it's really fun to look at those numbers, but ultimately when I want to leave the day job, the cash flow is the thing that matters the most. Uh, so it's a, a different perspective when you're, you're looking at it you know, as an investment. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to keep a day job and say, hey, I just want to build this up on the side, you can take deals that somebody who's doing this full time wouldn't be able to take. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, just it, it may not have the cash flow. It's still going to be a great investment over time. Yeah. So. And people need to realize that it, if they have to put in a bunch of extra hours early on, they won't always have to that eventually they'll, they'll get away from that. So. Yeah. And, and that is one of the things mean, I do work a, a lot in my real estate, but uh, one of the things that I learned from my uh, IT consulting business, um, as I really started to study you know, business processes, you have to be able to pay yourself to do things. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I kind of looked when I first started on my, my third house was my first rehab property. I said, you know what, I could go and I could rehab this property after I'm off from my day job but I'm going to pay other people to do this. I'm going to hire some people and I'm going to, I'm going to handle things that way. And it really allowed me to free up some of my time to work on the business. I could start to evaluate numbers. I could work on my education. Um, and when I got done with that house, I actually ended up way over budget on the house. Uh, but I was able to step back and had I done that work myself, it would have probably taken me about six months longer to get the, the rehab done because I wouldn't have had the amount of time to put into it. Um, and I could have looked at that and said, you know what, I was, I made this much money. I was this profitable by paying other people. It really forced me to be able to take that time that was paid into consideration and say, you know what, I actually broke even on this property. And then you also look at that opportunity cost of if it had taken me five, six months longer to finish it out, 
Well, the place is rented for eight fifty a month. You know, that's thousands of dollars on top of that that I lost if I was doing that work myself. So, um, you know, that, that stepping back and working on numbers, really evaluating, you know, the deals from a, a step back is something I highly recommend to people. And pay yourself. If you can't pay yourself, you can't pay somebody else to do it. You've got a lifestyle business, not a, a wealth-building asset. So, Good point. Sure. All right. So let's... Let's go into the details. When you started, um, what what year was this, or what around what time frame? Uh, so this was uh, April first. Uh, so not too long ago, uh, that was my two year mark. So I've uh, I've grown pretty uh, pretty rapidly throughout there, um, in, yeah, in two years time. That's uh, awesome. Okay, so just over two years, you have over a hundred units, right, of the of varying types. Mm -hmm. which we'll get into, but um, how did you, you know, if we're talking in a two-year time frame, and when you talk about starting two years ago, it sounds like a, you know, two years and 100 doors is not a typical growth sequence, <laughs> right? But when you tell your story and you say, I bought this one house, and then we had hassles with the residents, and then I bought another house, and then eventually I bought a third house, that sounds like a typical sequence. So how did it go from, you know, the normal buy a house and a month or two months later buy another house to this crazy growth? Yeah, so uh, the first two houses that I bought, um, I, I have grown highly leveraged uh, for starters and I wanna kind of call out to anybody who might be listening to this. Um, make sure to understand your own risk tolerance. A lot of people probably don't wanna do what I did um, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but uh, my first house, um, I used money off of my HELOC for the money down uh, of, of my primary residence. Um, and that went well. Just for anybody uh, not familiar with it. Yeah, so uh, typically when you buy a house, you're going to have a little bit of money that you put down onto the property, and then you're going to have a little bit of principal pay down. So on my own personal residence, when I put you know money down on the, the property, uh, and then I had done a handful of repairs to my own property, which caused the value to go up. So I was able to get basically a bank's line of credit uh, with my house securing that, uh, the amount above my, my note. So if I owed you know, 200,000 on a $300,000 house, um, some banks will let you do on your primary residence, uh, 80, 85, 90, 95, some banks will even let you do 100% of that equity. So um, yeah, in that particular instance, if you can get a bank that'll give you up to 100% of your, your equity, you can get a $100,000 line of credit. Um, in the form of a home equity line of credit. Um, so I was able to, to use money, basically equity in my house uh, to, to put that down towards the first property. And um, after I closed on it, uh, while I was actually in the process of going through the loan, um, I've got a you know, pretty decent IT day job. And uh, I'd found a duplex uh, while, before I was even closed on the other house. And I asked the lender, like, so what would it look like if I wanted to, to get this other house? He's like, well, let's get this loan closed first. But your income looks good. So if you've got the money down, um, you know, we, we can get that closed without any issues. So um, you know, bought the first house um, and then immediately uh, got ready. And the following month, uh, bought the duplex. And um, I used... I use for money down on that. Um, I had a uh, Roth IRA uh, that I'd had for a while that I'd contributed to pretty regularly. 
Um, and with Roth funds, I think it's after five years, you're allowed to touch the money, um, talk to a financial planner, accountant. Uh, but with Roth IRAs, you've already paid the taxes on the money. So you can take out your own contributions without any penalties. Um, so I took out money from a Roth IRA that I had uh, to put money down towards the, the second house. So you know, the first house, even though it was secured against my primary residence, I still borrowed 100% of the money, right? 80% uh, from the bank, 20% from you know, my house, basically. Yeah. Uh, the second house, I went ahead and you know, borrowed about uh, uh, 20 grand or so uh, from my, or I took as a withdrawal, rather, um, from my Roth IRA, put that down uh, for that loan. Uh, and then uh, I had read a lot about this Burr strategy where you buy distressed properties, uh, rehab them, rent them out, refinance to get your money back, and then you repeat the process. And yeah. uh, the goal with that strategy is you know, you, ideally you want to be around 70% of the valuation of the property by the time you're all said and done. So you buy it, you fix it up, and you're at $70,000 on a $100,000 appraisal. Um, and that allows you to you know, give the bank the 20 or 25% down that they want. You make a little bit of money um, and you get all of your money back. Um, so I read that strategy, um, found a uh, distressed property, uh, started working on it. And like I said, I went way over budget. Uh, there was, I, I even did all the due diligence on that one. I had the home inspection, whole nine. Uh, there was a spot, uh, we knew we had to, to gut the bathroom and that particular area um, was bricked off, so you couldn't get under uh, the crawl space to it. And when we got the bathroom all tore open, the entire interior foundation wall was crumbling on the inside, wasn't visible from the outside. We got to jack the back half of the house up and uh, do all kinds of work to that. So um, funded that off of, uh, largely off of my HELOC. Um, I had uh, found a lender that was uh, willing to work with me. My first lender who closed those other two loans quickly, easily. He's like, okay, well, we're at your debt to income limit, so I can't help you out anymore. Uh, so I had to, to kind of shop around and uh, find a lender that was willing to work with me. Uh, found somebody to give me the money for uh, the purchase uh, minus the, the money down um, and then did that rehab and was you know then looking to, to refinance that out. And I went so far over budget, I didn't have any equity in it um, to really be able to, to refinance. So I was just kind of stuck with my, you know, HELOC maxed out at that point, no equity in this property. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done for a while. That was, that was a fun run. I'm going to have to, to wait this out. Um, and I thought I was, I thought I was done with growth for a while. And, uh, it was around the third property. That is the third property. So I had a single family, a duplex and then another single family. And, uh, it was, um, a couple of months later, uh, one of the people who I had met through networking and whatnot at various meetups, uh, he'd kind of taken me under his wing. He's the primary person who really showed me how to, to crunch numbers on properties and you know how to plan for the capital expenditures and vacancy costs and you know, everything that really goes into it that I hadn't known to consider um, by just kind of jumping in the way that I had. Um, so I'd gotten a, a much better education base and uh, he had actually gotten a handful of properties under contract uh, together and he wasn't able to uh, take them all down himself. So I'd never even heard of the concept of wholesaling or anything else. Um, and this person who's kind of my mentor mentions like, Hey, I can give you a good deal on a property. And I'm sitting there like, is this good? Like, do you buy? Like, I mean, the price sounds good. What am I not understanding? Are you trying to take me for something, you know? And, and it, he really is just a, a great investor that, you know, 
had a great deal and he was passing it along. And uh, so I looked at the price, I looked at the income, it was far better than any of my other three properties. And uh, I just had to find a way to make it work. And I went to bank, to bank, to bank, to bank. And they're like, well, you know, you, you've got, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of credit used up here. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of houses. We have no idea if you're going to be good at actually managing tenants. You've been doing this for all of five months. Um, no. And it was just constant. No. And I kept shopping. I kept shopping and you know, the numbers on the property were amazing. I was getting it for I think 82,000, 82,500, something like that. Um, and it pulls in $1,500 a month in rent. So, um, wow. So it's almost 2%. Right? Yeah. 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 So I ended up uh, hearing about uh, Vizio Lending. Um, they're, um, with what I know now, kind of borderline hard money lender. Um, I paid, I think, five points to get like a 7.1% interest rate with them. Um, and it has a 54321 uh, prepayment penalty. Um, but I was able to refinance my HELOC into a new HELOC uh, to give me more available credit. I used that money down uh, for a loan with them, um, got everything approved, and uh, was able to, to add on uh, the duplex. It's a side-by-side, -side, and then the garage rent separately to uh, the neighbor across the street for storage. Uh, sure. So got that closed and kind of was, again, of that mindset like, okay, you know, nobody really wants to lend to me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't really have anywhere else to, to go. And as I continued to attend meetups and things of that nature, I started hearing about private money and some of the other things like, wait, there's a way that you can buy houses without banks. Um, it was just completely astounding. Uh, so, uh, let's see my, my next house on the nightly news, right. Or in school, yeah, or, you know, it's only, yeah, it's amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as I get into the private lending. Uh, I'm going to start to get into some of the uh, gray areas that I probably don't recommend most people do. Uh, one of the things I had learned when I was you know, near bankrupt uh, with my IT consulting firm uh, before I went back to the corporate world to bail me out is that banks don't want to give you money when you need it. They want to give it to you when you don't. Um, so while I had worked to, to get myself back on my feet, um, with that knowledge, every time you know, I got a raise or anything else, I got all my credit cards paid down, I would call the banks and I would see if I could get my, my limits raised. And uh, across the board, I had over $200,000 worth of credit available on these cards. I would constantly get all of these 0% checks. And you know, the zero percent check's not really zero percent, right? You're gonna pay a two and a half or a three percent, you know, upfront fee and then a zero percent for nine, 12, 18 months, whatever the term is right. uh, for that particular card. Um, but uh, I was in a networking group um, that's a business networking group, and uh, one of the, the people uh, mentioned that they had a, a house that they were trying to sell their power of attorney for the person she'd just gotten admitted into a, a nursing home or you know, long-term care facility of some sort. I uh, was on Medicaid and you know, they had to, to get rid of her assets. And this house was in terrible shape. Uh, the lady was, was blind and there had been like a house fire and uh, you know, things had just gotten not repaired properly. And she, it, it struck me as somebody had taken advantage of the person who was living there. Um, the way that some of the, the things were done in the house. Um, but 
I was able to pick the house up for $25,000. I wrote a 0% check off of one of my credit cards to buy a house. Um, and uh, got that house and uh, it actually worked out really well because the guys that I'd hired for that uh, third place that I fixed up, um, you know, between the eviction and everything else, I was able to keep them busy. And then it's like, okay, cool. Now I've got this, you know, place that needs all kinds of work so I can just keep them working on it and I'll be able to pull them off whenever I have a tenant need that comes up as I get more and more tenants. So um, I had a, a little bit of a lull in January of that year uh, where, where I didn't have much work and I actually almost lost uh, uh, the guys. And they're great. The guys I've got working on there are fabulous. Uh, but uh, got through January and uh, picked that up, I think, in late February, uh, early March, something like that of, of that year. Um, so got them started working on that and then uh, had somebody else call me, actually uh, the realtor that I've used, I've been a friend, friends with him for a long time. One of his friends called him and said, hey, my, my boyfriend's got this property. Um, he wants to sell it, but he hates going through realtors. Do you know anybody who's looking to buy anything over in this part of town? And I got to talking with the guy, he, you know, got referred over to me. Um, he's like, yeah, I just, I just want what I got left on the loan. I've been living here for about 17 years. And, uh, you know, my, my mom passed away and I'm you know, inheriting her house and my fiance has her house and I've got this and I just want to be done with it. I want to walk away if I can. And, uh, the house only needed about ten twelve thousand dollars $12,000 worth of work. Um, wasn't in terrible shape. Uh, ended up picking it up for 47,000. Um, and the, uh, appraisal came back at 84. So, Wow. Really good deal. Um, ended up putting that money in. If I had to guess, it would appraise probably closer to a hundred now. Um, but uh, so I had these three properties and I found a uh, lender uh, that was willing to do a blanket mortgage uh, across multiple properties. So um, I had that property that I wanted to buy for 47,000. I had the property I'd just bought for $25,000 on a 0% credit card. And then I had my Burr property that was an abysmal failure that was my third property, but there was a ton of equity because I paid for it all. Um, so I found this lender that was willing to do an as complete appraisal on the $25,000 home that I had purchased. Um, and the as complete came back at $92,000. Um, they went off of the other appraisal that came back uh, for the property I was picking up at, uh, for 47,000. And then I had all the other equity in that third property so I was able to roll all that together into a single mortgage and uh, walk away with over $100,000 cash. Um, and, you know, basically I sucked all the equity out of those properties. So they're about cash flow neutral at this point. Um, but I walked away with $100,000 that allowed me to pay a bunch of stuff off and kind of start the process over again. Right. With lines of credit and uh, you know, be able to continue to grow. So. Well, it seems like that's a great way. I mean, using a HELOC, you know, with that technique for the burr, when you refinance, you're going to repay that off similar to your credit card check. And um, they're all different short-term financing, essentially, um, mm -hmm. that you refund with that portfolio loan. So it's pretty sharp. Did you? So I, I think I know the answer to this, but did you have it all planned out from the beginning when you bought that third house? Did you know how it would all work out with those three? My my initial goal was I think I want to be at around 50 doors by the time that I hit my my 10 year mark in investing. Uh -huh. um, so uh, after year one, I was like, you know, I think I need to shorten that. Let's let's do 50 doors in five years. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, the second year kind of started rolling around and, um, I realized that a door count doesn't mean anything. Um, it really is a completely arbitrary number. What you really need to care about is what do you have in equity and what do you have in cash flow. Uh, so my goals have kind of changed uh, away from that because you can buy, you know, any deal you want and you can get door counts. You, know, you can be losing money, right? So right. you need yeah. to, to have a set amount that you're making per door or you, you need to be looking at the actual gears that, that matter uh, to, to get towards your goals. Um, the next property that I bought was a uh, six unit. It actually came uh, a mastermind that I got invited the, to be a part of. Uh, one of the investors is like, yeah, I looked at this house. And it was just a little too rough for, for what I wanted. I was like, that's right up my alley, you know? So, uh, and I'd just done this $100,000 cash out, uh, paid off a lot of my own stuff, uh, but I had to make sure to keep money back for the repairs and stuff. So I basically got the repairs for that $25,000 house funded up front. Um, mm. this cash out. So I had to make sure to set money back and uh, uh, the house I was able to get it, uh, the six unit, I was able to get it under contract for $85,000. Um, needed a decent amount of work. I probably put $35,000, $40,000 into it. Um, but uh, got it up, got it rented. Uh, the utilities aren't uh, fully separated. Um, so, you know, ended up doing utilities included. It's actually worked out a lot better than I thought it would. Um, when you look at like the way that uh, heat and everything works, you, know, you just get efficiencies <laughs> you know, in, in the building there. So, um, and, and I try to limit things. I've got Nest thermostats installed so I can make sure to limit the ranges and things like that that the tenants can change the temperature to. And um, there's a flume water device that you can get that'll actually alert you if you've got water running for too long or if it uh, has any suspected leaks. Um, so you get a toilet running or whatnot, you can automatically get an alert for that. Mm -hmm. Not theirs. Um, but, uh, that was the first house I used private money on, um, met somebody in one of the networking groups and said, you know, Hey, I've got this house. It's a great deal. Um, you know, banks aren't going to really finance it the way that it is. It's got a lot of stuff wrong with it. Um, I've got some money I can put down, you know, what's your comfort level? How much do you have to lend? Um, and I got somebody to lend, um, it's around fifty-five thousand, and then I covered the rest of it, um, and I was able to get it, you know, fixed up, get it rented, um, and that one refinanced without any issues at all uh, to get me money back out again. So that's great. So, what was that conversation like with the, your first private lender? Um, it was the first time he had ever lent as well. Um, okay, he's familiar with uh, real estate. He's a real estate investor himself, uh, so he was definitely familiar with the ideas behind why you would do it and what to look for. Um, and you know, the numbers on the property were great. So, uh, you know, he, he didn't have any issues with it. You know, I took plenty of pictures, walked him through it, um, got a hold of an attorney to draft everything up, uh, kind of explained the process to us. Um, everything went really smooth with it and uh, uh, talked to the attorney afterwards. And I said, so are the documents that you drew up for us, is that something that I own or do you have a copyright to them? Can I reuse them? Um, and he basically said, you know, yeah, you, you bought them, you can use them. Um, so uh, I've been able to use that as a template for most of my other loans. And uh, I'm actually a big advocate of uh, Legal Shield. It used to be prepaid legal. So I'll kind of modify that and then I'll send it over to them for review um, just to make sure that I don't have anything crazy and that's included in a monthly membership for a, a really small fee. So, so Legal Shield is a monthly subscription 
and they give you legal advice or, or, or what exactly is that? Yeah. So full disclosure, um, I use it a lot and, uh, I found out that I can make money off of it. So my wife is actually a sales rep now. So full disclosure, uh, okay. yeah. If you want a, a link, uh, hit, hit us up. Uh, but uh, basically, it's a subscription-based service uh, for an individual. It's $25 a month. And uh, you can call a uh, licensed attorney in your state and ask as many questions as you want for that $25 a month subscription. Um, for an extra $15 a month, you can actually add your business on as well. And uh, they'll answer questions you know, that are you know, more business-related uh, for it and uh, they'll do document reviews with the individual package. I think it's three pages or something like that, um, that they'll do at a given time with the business writer. They'll review up to 15 pages um, in any given time. Uh, so you, know, you want to have an addendum to your lease or change your lease or do up a land contract or whatever. You can actually take a stab at it yourself, send it over to an attorney, and they're going to tell you what's wrong with it for 25 to $40 a month. Sure. It's a really, really great service. Yeah. And then uh, if you have anything proactive that you want to do, like, hey, I'm, I need to kick this person out of my house, uh, you know, filing eviction, whatever, um, they're not going to proactively uh, do things as part of that membership, but they'll refer you to an attorney that will service your area, and you'll get 25% off of that attorney's rates for anything that you need to do. Um, so like when I had the legal paperwork drawn up, that's something proactive, like they'll review paperwork, but they're not going to draw it up for me. So um, they referred me out to an attorney, and I got 25% off of the local rates of that attorney uh, to get the paperwork drawn up. So, highly recommended. So, yeah, it sounds like a, a great service. So, was the process difficult? You know, you were totally new to it, and your lender was totally new to it. Was it very difficult to do? Uh, it really wasn't. There's uh, only a couple of things that you're, I guess, three things that you really need. You need a promissory note that basically describes what your terms are. Um, and then you're going to have uh, a statutory mortgage. There's a specific uh, Ohio revised code. Um, if you're in Ohio, I'm sure it varies state to state. But there's a, a specific, basically a short form mortgage um, that's realistically, it can be as short as a page um, that gets filed. Um, and then you're going to have an amortization schedule that gets referenced that you know, you basically spell out, you know, hey, here's here's how the money's going to get paid, whether it's interest only or whatnot. You're seeing the terms that are specified in your promissory note are laid out in that end schedule. So if it's interest only for the first six months and then it's amortized over 12 months or whatever, you just lay it out in that. Put it all together, get some signatures, and the title company at closing takes care of filing everything. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, it's kind of a mysterious thing, you know, when people hear about private money and finding these mysterious private lenders. But once you go through it, um, it's not a real difficult process. And the private lenders are the people that you're around every day anyway. Um, so. Yeah, and the, the important thing to think about with private lending, and I mean, it depends on the lender and what the lender's goals are. Um, but for the most part, private lending does tend to be a shorter term thing. You've got a specific goal in mind. I want to acquire this property, increase its valuation. I want you to second all this. Goal. This is why those high rise offices are so expensive, right? They don't have to deal with ground noise. Uh, yeah. So private lending, you, you just want to know what the lender's goals are. Typically it's going to be a higher interest rate. And somebody might say, gosh, why would you pay a eight, nine, 10, you know, maybe even 11 or 12% interest rate. And the answer is because the deal supports it. Um, if you can get the right amounts of equity, the right amounts of cash flow, 
and you can refinance, but you can't buy it with traditional lending because you know a hoarder's living in there, or it's in really bad repair, or uh, you know, whatever's going on. There's all kinds of scenarios where you're just not going to be able to buy it with traditional lender. Um, but it's it's a good deal. So using that private capital or that short-term capital or that HELOC or that credit card, um, as long as you understand the risks um, and you, you know consider it a short-term thing that you pay back, you're, you're going to keep yourself out of trouble. And there's definitely a place for it, and it, it allows you to close quickly, make basically cash offers on properties. Um, so a lot of great things that you can do once you start to to, to build up that private lender network. Yeah, it gives you a lot of freedom. That's for sure. And access to deals that you would never have access to otherwise. So, yep. so when you refinance a property, did your, I mean, is this an ongoing relationship with your lender? What do they lend to you still, or do they lend you again? Um, so that lender, um, unfortunately did not, he was going to, and he had a, uh, another deal by the guy who introduced me to him came up and it was <laughs> really poor timing uh um, times out there watch out <laughs> yeah so um but uh he, he did voice that he would be happy to lend to me again he was happy with the process and uh yeah very receptive and amenable to, to doing it again if uh, our timelines line up and that's something you got to be you know any investor that you work with uh, especially on the private money side of things you know they don't want to have 50 60 100 dollars sitting in cash not working so you know, part of part of your strategy really should be, okay, I'm going to try to line up this refinance with I've got another deal for you and I'm going to present them at the same time so that you can keep recycling their money, letting them, you know, continue to put it work to work or have, have that choice as to whether or not they want to continue to invest um, to, to limit their own risk factor. Yeah, that's great. So is there a point um, in this where you felt like it just took off? You know. um, that six unit was uh, the thing that you know. Okay, cool. I I'm going really fast. I've got to get got to get my uh, uh, um, feet kind of stable. Like there's there's been so many things going on. And I, actually, as I was searching for private lending for that six unit, I I had it under contract. No idea how I was going to close it, but I knew that it was a deal. Um, so I was I was searching for for my first private lender. And I drove by the building downtown, the one I'm actually sitting in right now, um, drove by it and I saw that the phone number on the sign had changed out front that you know had offices available for rent or whatever it said. And I was like, I wonder if, if Rob still owns that building, the guy who owned it when I was there with my computer business. And uh, so I, I called his cell phone number and uh, uh, he picked up the phone and said, you know, Rob, I've been getting into to real estate here and uh, I was going to see him before I could even get any further. He's like, oh, really? You want to buy my building? <laughs> well, um, not why I called, but let's talk, you know? So uh, he had moved out of town. He'd, he'd hired, he'd been through, I guess, a couple of uh, property managers. And uh, occupancy had just fallen since he had moved out of town. And he still came back like a couple of days a week. Uh, but, you know, he moved out of state, actually. It wasn't even out of town. So occupancy had fallen pretty far in the building. And... You know, the numbers on it weren't great, so uh, we worked out a, a deal where we were able to, um, he let me have an office in the building to be able to work from, and then I was able to, uh, as part of our contract, work to help get our occupancy up in the building, and if I could get the numbers to where they needed to be to be able to get an appraisal, you know, and, and get the funding and whatnot, um, basically 
it would, uh, you know, if the appraisal came in where it needed to be, um, he was willing to do a seller second for a certain amount of, of money. So uh, I got it under contract and with what he was able to do, it basically gave me the equity that I needed for the bank if the valuation of the property came back right. Um, so I worked and we went from right around 50% occupancy up to a little over 80% occupancy. Um, everything came back and with him doing a seller second, I was actually able to walk into the building with no money out of pocket. Um, and it's a, technically it's a 25 unit building. Um, some of it's like adjoining doors and this suite's rented with that suite type of thing. So you know, from 18 to 25 tenants typically in the, the building, depending on how it's broken up at any given time. Um, but that deal, like it, it took a lot of work to get there and it was a lot of sweat equity that, you know, they could have just benefited him and I didn't get the deal closed, you know? Um, but I was all right with that too. I had an office to work out of for the time being and you know, it worked out really well for both parties. So it was kind of finding that win-win situation. Um, you know, he, he had to walk away from the deal. It just, uh, or not from the deal, but from the, the building, it was just something that didn't work for him anymore. And, uh, it's a, a great location and it's really helped springboard a lot of what I've got today. Um, so that closed in January of this year. Actually, this, this January was absolutely amazing. Um, I had a four unit, uh, building that I'd gotten under contract and was able to find a private lender to fund the purchase and the rehab. Um, so I worked with, uh, with him to get that four unit closed, met him up at a networking group. Um, actually, it was, wasn't even soliciting private lending or anything else. I was just up at this real estate networking group and uh, his brother looked really familiar to me. So I asked him, I, I thought I recognized him from a place that I'd uh, consulted that. And I asked him if that's where it was. And he's like, no, but we, we got to talking and they had funds and we're looking to lend. So uh, both brothers at this point have lent to me. Um, and wow. So they, they helped close that four unit. And then I had um, a storage unit complex. Uh, basically it was empty. It wasn't generating any revenue. The guy who owned it uh, had gotten it via land contract and he had used it. Uh, he had a bunch of landscape crews um, and used about half of the, the facility for his own equipment for all of his various crews and whatnot. And uh, he was kind of downsizing, moving stuff out to his house. And uh, there's this facility, 47 doors, that just wasn't generating any revenue. Um, you know, he'd had it for years and you know, used about half of it himself. About a quarter of it was used by family and friends that didn't pay anything. And uh, the other quarter, had, you know, their rent's never been raised since the late 90s um, and paying next to nothing. I, I've got one person like right around 38 bucks for a 10 by 20 foot storage unit. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, I could double it and still be well below market. Uh, <laughs> so uh, looking at the numbers, it was a terrible deal, but, but I was actually able to get it with no money down for, for an assumption of land contract. Uh, talked to the guy who held the, the contracts and, you know, hey, would you sign off on this? I you know, presented him with kind of my numbers the same way I'd present things to a bank. Um, he agreed that I was financially stable enough to take it on and uh, was able to basically help this guy walk away from, you know, problem you know it wasn't generating any revenue it was just going to keep costing him money after he downsized so it was a win for him um, I was able to get into it we're putting probably about 50,000 or so into it uh, new roofs getting everything painted we're gonna have to replace a handful of doors uh, key and key out gate system surveillance cameras gravel you know whole nine uh, but uh, once we've got that done um, if we can hit the national average uh, of occupancy for storage units which is about 93 percent 
Um, that should cash flow around two thousand dollars a month and uh, be worth just shy of four hundred thousand when it's all said and done. Um, and there's actually room for two more buildings to be built on the uh, the land, um, which could raise its value up to close to three quarters of a million dollars by the time it's all said and done. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So Rockstar property, and I had a single family that I closed with private money in January too. So I had seventy-seven doors in January of this year to kind uh, of catapult me. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. That's a good month. Holy mackerel. <laughs> so anybody struggling today to get their first deal, just keep in their head that one month from now, you could have 77 doors, right? It's possible. Yeah. You, you well, could and, have a rock star month. And, and don't, don't forget the sweat equity. Like the, uh, the guy for the storage unit, when uh, the person that originally announced that, it was in a networking group and there were 20, maybe 30 people in the room and I took down the guy's uh, information, like, okay, you know, where, where's it at? And I drove by, he's like, yeah, the number's on a sign out there. And I, I drove out there and there was no sign. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is it. Like, I mean, there's storage units here, but there's no sign, no phone number. And uh, got a hold of the guy and, you know, oh, I'll, I'll check. And it took me almost three months between following up constantly before I made first contact with the actual guy who had the, the property and the land contract. So. Uh, you know, January was really a culmination of like the four or five months of work on the big office building all coming at once. The storage units, multiple months trying to trace that down, you know, had a, a longer contract period and uh, whatnot for the floor unit and finding funding for that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it really was an amazing month, but uh, don't, don't be afraid to hunt down the deals. Uh, there's so many times where just the follow through is really what gets you there. That's awesome. Because I think, you know, most people, if they were looking at it from the outside, they would think, oh, he found four amazing deals in January, right? And they don't, they don't really picture the months and months of effort that it took. And it just all came together. Um, kind of like that, you know, overnight success, it just took years of effort to get that overnight success, you know. So, um, I think that's a great point for people. It's not a get rich quick. You can't do it overnight. It takes effort and uh, a lot of sweat. Yeah. As you said, sweat equity, right? Yeah, and being able to have full-time maintenance people on payroll that are working on fixing up these other properties has been a godsend. It's, I've you know, grown this rapidly. Like I, I'm starting to evaluate the processes. Does it make sense to have full-time maintenance guys and full-time you know, for construction guys? Does it make sense to separate that out because we're getting to the point where we're busy enough to, you know, between spring checklists and fall checklists and you know, we make sure all of our places are well cared for. Um, it, it's getting to be a significant amount of time away from the, the burr strategy. <laughs> My guys are complaining a little bit that I, I won't let them work. It's constantly pulled off again. They like the burrs a lot better than, than the maintenance, huh? Yeah, they do. So I, I couldn't do what I do without, you know, a, a great support network. And, and actually, as I've started to grow, trying to take on the number of leases and everything else that January had that came with it mm. um, to figure out, you know, the storage units and everything else. Uh, my acquisitions that I've gotten after that, I've actually got a company that's helping manage uh, pretty much all of those. Um, so it's starting to take some of the phone calls and some of the workload off there so that I can continue to focus on, you know, finding the deals, finding the lenders. Uh, you know, that acquisition piece uh, is where the equity grows a lot faster 
Uh, and obviously, the more you pay people to do things, the less cash flow you have, but it also frees up your time. So it's a, a really important distinction to make if if you're trying to to grow rapidly, you know, step back, look at the work that actually needs done. And if you're doing these burst strategies, even if you're not doing the work yourself, are you still playing project manager? Are you still filing for permits? You know, what what things are you doing or not doing? And you know, how does that play in your time versus what you could pay somebody else to do? Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a good point. You know, my my process was similar because when I started, I didn't have a job, didn't have any other income. I was just doing the first strategy and living off money from the refinance. And I would, um, I hired people really from almost day one. First, they were working with me and then it was, you know, uh, multiple people and then it was independent people. And I didn't have enough money really to support myself in the rents, you know, for cash flow. Um, but it was more on faith that if I just churned through enough deals and got kept getting the refinances, that that was what would, would get me to success or get me to my goal. So I was similar in that I, I really felt blessed to have guys working full time um, to help with that, that progress. So one thing that's, you know, a couple of really interesting things from your story. Um, your deals, you didn't find them from direct mail or a wholesaler, or it sounds like it was different interactions or different contacts that you made. Is that yeah. how you see it? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I often joke specifically in front of uh, my buddy Tracy. Um, he's in a, a handful of groups with me, but I, I say I take Tracy's sloppy seconds because Tracy, Tracy knows everybody, but he doesn't like the heavier rehab. So he'll find deals and, and funnel the ones that he doesn't like to do. Uh, but, I, but I go back to it and show him how good the numbers are after. So okay. it's a, a fun thing to tease him on. Sure. And uh, it's a, it also is interesting from the outside looking in that you have basically assets in of three different types. You know, normally I see investors who really like singles and doubles, let's say, or apartments or commercial space or storage units. Um, so it's interesting that you've done all of those. Um, have you see, had struggles with trying to figure out how to succeed in the storage space um, business in comparison to commercial, in comparison to residential? Um, yeah, so that's actually uh, something I've been focused on very heavily here as of late uh, and trying to figure out what the best strategy is. I kind of see, you know, between the single family, Molly family, office, and storage, I see them as self-insulating uh, areas of the market segment. So if, you know, the economy is booming, I think my single families and my office buildings are probably going to do a little better. Um, as the economy slows down, the storage units and the, the multifamily is going to do a little better. I mean, right now I'm very blessed in the fact that I don't have any doors that are available. Like the second something's available, it's rented. So, um, you know, we're, we're in a good market right now for all four things. Um, but as I step back and kind of look at it, developing a marketing strategy for these storage units kind of is its own job, like to deal with just the storage units. Um, same thing with the office space. You know, I'm not running just office space. I, I'm taking one of the units and doing an office subscription model where you can pay $100 a month and get 40 hours worth of time that you can schedule on the website for a dedicated private office. So you can go to easyofficespace.com and you can 
sign up and I you know plan to market it to attorneys that want a place that can just have an address in the county so that they can do court-appointed work or maybe the small business owner that can't afford a, a real office uh, full-time but they need a professional place to meet with clients or as COVID's taught us we've got a whole bunch of industries that just realized that they can work from home mm. the next thing they're going to realize is they need some heads downtime, not with a three-year-old crawling on their head while they're trying to work um, so I think you know being able to offer space uh, that meets that need um, it's going to be a really powerful thing too. Gosh, that's another business, you know. So I'm kind of starting to step back, and real estate is a means to an end goal for me. And as I start to look at what I really have, is I've got a property management business, I've got a construction company, I've got you know the the storage units, I've got the uh, office space, the way that it works out. So I'm trying to really abstract myself, see what I can start to delegate out and start to work at a higher level on the multitude of businesses that I have and let other people do some of the work down in, in other areas and figure out how can I grow each of these businesses. Um, I started talking uh, with different business coaches and things like that to, to help me focus on you know, what's important now, how do I keep the right focus um, when I'm dealing with as many aspects of what I, I'm, I'm working through. So it's definitely a work in progress right now is you know, I've, I've grown <laughs> this quick, but uh, it, it's something that I've recognized is going to need a lot of work to, to make sure that I can stay on top of it, uh, get the right things hired out and uh, work on the business and not get weighted down with all the phone calls, all of the day-to-day -day stuff that uh, is going to slow me down. That's great. That's great. So moving forward, do you think there's one area that you prefer or or you know what are your goals moving forward uh, my longer term goal uh, so my short-term goal is to get to the point where i can leave the day job um, and then i want to continue growing at a fairly rapid rate until i can get to the point where i've got about four to five times what i need for myself and uh once i get to that point um like i said i've always had an entrepreneurial type of mindset i've actually got a big list of ideas that i would love to build and I've met a lot of brilliant people throughout the, the different areas that I've worked. Um, I, I would love to have the passive income to start up a R&D type of company that says, hey, can I make X, Y, or Z? And if it takes off, you know, have that as an exit strategy, build up that company and sell it off. Let's try the next idea, build it up, sell it off. And if it doesn't take off, who cares? It was built with passive income. Uh, so that's that's kind of my longer term goal is to get to that point. Um, as you look at, especially commercial real estate, what makes more than real estate? Well, the businesses that are in there either have to make money or they're not going to be able to pay their rent. So uh, how do you build a business that's going to be successful on top of other businesses that you already have that can help feed into that? So that's that's kind of where my mind's going from a longer term perspective. Okay, that's great. So for the person who's just getting started and they feel overwhelmed by everything, you know, the finding deals, the numbers, the managing, all these things, um, what advice would you give them for getting started or taking that first step? Hands down, just do it. Uh, <laughs> all right. You will, you will find out that uh, I, there, there's a saying that if it wasn't for the last minute, I'd get nothing done at all. Um, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you're, you're going to do what you have to do. And if you, you buy it and you've got your own money, your own assets on the line, you're going to figure out a way to make it work. Um, so the more education that you can have coming into it, the better, um, you know, plan to a lot of real estate investors, you know, 
myself would have been in this exact same boat had I not met the right people along the way. Um, I didn't know to plan for a management fee. If, if you buy a house and it only makes money if you're managing it yourself, you just earned yourself a job. <laughs> so, so is that what you want? It's fine if it is, but if there's no money left over after management, do you really want that dealer? Yeah, it might make sense. And maybe you're fine saying, well, I'll let somebody else manage this and I'll, I'll make my money off of the other things. But you're never going to know until you get into it. Just get into it, see what's going on. You're going to learn a lot faster that way. And, you know, hope that a pandemic or something crazy doesn't hit in the middle of it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I'm I'm fairly certain that the next few months won't be as crazy as the last few. So now's a good time to start, right? Just do it. I like it. So, um, what uh, I guess as a, a closing note, what is your um, big why or what big rewards have you seen in your couple years with real estate? Um, as an encouragement, because I know when people do get started, they're going to run into headaches and obstacles and they're going to wonder, is it all worth it? So from your perspective, what rewards have you seen or why is all the effort worth it? Um, so I have in two years time, I have replaced over half of my take home income with passive cash flow. Right now I'm putting that 100% back into the business. So don't pretend for a second like I'm you know, rolling in it because I'm not. I'm very what they call house poor. Um, but uh, I, I've been able to grow a lot of assets. And frankly, the more assets you have, the faster they're going to multiply. One of the, the numbers I really enjoy looking at is the amount of principal pay down I get each year. Um, I've got over $50,000 a year going towards basically a retirement account, right? You know, you're just getting equity paid down um, and it's it's money that you can you know borrow against if you had to um, but it's a really fun number to watch that go up and uh, you know, it, it far outpaces anything I was able to, to put towards retirement otherwise and that's just one piece of the puzzle so you know, know your numbers see how things pay down know your goals um, you know, if you know your goals if you want to continue working a day job like I said there's nothing wrong with having a property that's cash flow neutral because you're still going to get tax benefits. You're still going to get appreciation. You're still going to get that principal pay down. Um, but know, know your goals because if you don't <laughs> step back, know what you're trying to achieve. You're never going to know if you get there. So That's, that's great. Well, CJ, how, if people want to find out more about you or get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, yeah, so uh, my company name that does the property management is you pick to rent. It's the letter U and the number two. Um, so you can send an email to info at you pick to rent.com. Um, our phone number, if you want to call, is 740 205 8624. And that does have the annoying little PDX that sends you directly to my voicemail after hours. So leave me a message if uh, you want to call late. Um, and I'm in the office pretty much all the time. So I'll probably just get the email attachment when you call back. But um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me is uh, either through email or phone or hit up the website. You can see what we've got going on, some of the listings, things like that as they come available. Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, coming on and getting to share your insights with everybody and your story. I know um, people are going to be inspired by it and and lots of great information uh, to help them in their journey. So thank you again, CJ. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And one last little plug, if you do call that uh, phone number, there is an option to press for prepaid legal. My wife would love it if you have, uh, or for Legal Shield. Um, I do highly recommend that service. Uh, I use it probably two to three times a month. So um, super awesome for getting questions answered, lease amendments, you know, review, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, they even send collection letters and stuff like that for you. So one last little plug there. Uh, all right. Playing PDX. Sounds good. Uh, she'll, be happy. she'll be really excited for that yeah. right <laughs> all right well thanks again and we'll talk to you soon all right have a good one Bye. thanks for listening to the true wealth investors podcast visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on apple podcast or spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey Thank you.